is up, everybody? Welcome back to First Down Rundown, where we give you a holistic view of the world of sports. Whether you're a casual fan or an avid fan, this is the place for you. We're you two hosts. I'm Hayden Vozar. He's Matt Vozar. Today is Sunday, August 6th. First episode of the month for us. Big month. August is always one of the biggest months for First Down Rundown podcast, and we're here for it. We are embracing it and bringing you a Pac-12 and ACC episode today. We'll be talking about the ACC first and then the Pac-12 second, and then we'll have our rundown section at the end. We will preface the conference re- realignment. I know that's what uh, what's on everybody's mind right now. Conference realignment is in full swing, and so we are very much aware of that, as you guys probably know. But we're going to bring a full discussion of that next episode. So if you guys are looking for that this episode, you're not going to get it because we've had this plan of doing the ACC and Pac-12 for a while now. So we're not going to get to conference realignment too in-depth today. We'll probably talk about the women's national team, uh, you know, getting kicked out of the World Cup later on after after we talk about the Pac-12 and ACC today. But that'll be the blunt of this episode will be will be the, the ACC and Pac-12, and then we'll do Big 12 and conference realignment next episode. Kind of the, the, the least important conference is the Big 12, and so we're, we're leaving them out of the episode today, but we just couldn't do three conferences today. We're leaving it to two. We're going to do 14 teams total, seven from the ACC, seven from the Pac-12. If you haven't listened to our SEC and Big 10 episodes, then go listen to those. It's going to be the same concept as those. Those episodes, we only talked about 10 teams each because – they're bigger conferences. We have more to say about their teams, but Pac-12 and ACC today, we have 14 teams total to go over. So it's gonna be it's gonna be a jam-packed episode, but we're super excited for it. Super excited to bring you guys the content. And again, same same format. We're just gonna be going over the the biggest news for each team coming into the season: coaching, players, transfers, everything like that. Kind of offense and defense. What's gonna be looking like for each team, and we're gonna be previewing. Seven teams from each conference, the top seven teams from each each conference, um, assumably, and that's how it's going to go today. I've got Matt here next to me. Matt, how are you doing? It is a crazy world in college football right now. Well, college sports in general, because this is obviously going to affect basketball as well. Um, it, it was inevitable, right? I mean, and again, like Hayden said, we're going to get deep into this next episode, mainly because A, like he said, we're, we're doing more teams than we have done even in the past two episodes, and we're, those were even long, you know, like an hour and a half. Um, so so we're so we're kind of, you know, we're divvying it up because obviously the Big Ten and the SEC are the biggest and best conferences in, when it comes to football um decided to do the acc impact 12 and one because we wouldn't be able to do or wouldn't have been able to you know kind of give enough credit to all three conferences if we were going to do all three and we wouldn't have been able to even cover most of the teams um and then it just so happened that all the realignment stuff happened basically yesterday as we're recording this uh so as we as we kind of get on you know it's it's especially when we talk about the pac-12 today the thing to keep in mind at least in terms of like how we're doing this preview is that we're previewing the conferences but all of the conferences are all staying as they are this year going into this year so nothing's changing for the 2023 college football season which is why we we kind of are are doing the episode now to get it out there because the preview that we're giving for the pac-12 teams is is true to what the pac-12 is going to be this year obviously there's going to be a lot of changes you know going into next year but that's kind of why we're going to be talking about that in, in the next episode that way we can get the big 12 and, and they're kind of because the big 12 is arguably has the the newest teams this year because of you know byu houston cincinnati ucf um so so and those are teams that moved up from the group of five so all the teams that we're talking about from the last two episodes as well as this one have been in the power five the entire time the big 12 is kind of shifting this year 
simply due to because of because Oklahoma and Tennessee or uh, Texas and Oklahoma were going to leave anyway. So, um, right. So, so we'll go over. We'll, there's there's so much to cover with this conference realignment that literally it will take half an episode uh, next week as we also get into the Big Twelve. But but definitely want to want to want to start with the with with these previewing these teams because we could got a a lot to cover in this episode specifically. Yeah. So just to lead today's episode off, we did it with our Big Ten episode. We forgot to talk about our, our championship game and our championship picks for the SEC. So we did it at the beginning of our Big Ten episode. And then we promised that you guys that we would do our Big Ten championship slash Big Ten winners at the beginning of this episode. So real quick, again, not going to try to get too in-depth here because we talked all about the Big Ten last episode. Real quick, I'm just going to kind of list off my, my championship teams that I have here going to the Big Ten championship from the Big Ten East. I'm going to have Ohio State. I think Ohio State is is pretty well the second best team in the country behind Georgia this year, and it's it, it's just because of their offense. Their defense is going to be pretty good too. Um, and then from the Big Ten West, I didn't even I, I was kind of like struggling on who to pick here from the Big Ten West, but I'm going to go Wisconsin. I think with the addition of Luke Fickle, he he's been to the playoff before, and so he knows how to win. He did such a good job at Cincinnati for so many years, or for you know the, the years that he was there, and so I think that he's going to be able to bring that success over to Wisconsin. Give me Wisconsin. They've they've always had a pretty good, a pretty stout defense. It's just their offense that's been struggling. But hopefully, with the departure of Graham Mertz, um, you know the very mid quarterback that they've had for the past few years, hopefully they'll they'll gain some momentum on the offensive end and be able to uh, you know propel themselves up to the Big Ten championship there. So I've I've got Ohio State. And Wisconsin, and I don't, I don't even really think I should even have to go into who's winning this game because it's obviously going to be Ohio State. I think they're going to win the Big Ten. And I think whoever Ohio State plays from the Big Ten West, they're going to be able to beat. Same with Michigan. I know Matt might have Michigan in the Big Ten uh, championship from the Big Ten East. It, it could go either way, but I think – I mean, you're, you're going to see the Big Ten East winner – be the championship of the conference. Yep, Hayden's exactly right. Um, I actually have two different teams, which is good because in the SEC we were we were pretty much locked up with our LSU Georgia prediction. Um, and again, just to just to kind of keep in mind, listen to the Big Ten episode because we explain it. But the Big Ten East has Ohio State, Michigan, and Penn Penn State. So the top three, you know, best teams in the Big Ten are all in the same division. So only one of them comes out of that division and plays a team from the West, which Hayden, I think, kind of, you know, described well in that, right, it's, it's Wisconsin, it's Iowa, Purdue, Minnesota, you know, kind of Illinois, like teams that are all kind of, you know, just kind of middle of the pack, right? Um, and kind of one of them is going to end up winning the Big Ten West and, and be able to play in the championship, which is which is good because, or, or it's good that we're kind of going into this, well, I, again, We'll talk about the whole realignment thing next year or next week, and, and there's going to be a lot of there's diff- there are arguments for both sides, obviously, but I think it's it's at least going to provide a little bit more. The competition's going to be better in terms of who's getting to the conference championships because next year it can be Ohio State and Michigan facing off in the conference championship because there's going to be no divisions anymore, right? Um, so yeah, so I will pick Michigan out of the Big Ten East. Michigan was undefeated last year, and they're going to be better this year. Um, and Ohio State was really good last year, and they lost their best player on offense. Well, their best player overall in C.J. Stroud. So just given those two facts, um, I-, I think Michigan's ready to return. They're going to be playing Ohio State at Michigan. So, like, they get a home game against Ohio State this year. They're going to be on the road at Penn State. That's, like, the only going, the only game that I even see them coming close to losing. But they're probably still going to be at least a touchdown favorite in that game. So, I, I, I'm pretty sure I, – I have Michigan going at least 11-1. and They could probably be 12-0 and pretty easily uh, and, and going on to the Big Ten Championship. And then I have Iowa coming out of the East – or the West. Um, it's – 
Wisconsin is, 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 is projected to do well, and I think they have a really easy schedule, so it's going to set up well for kind of transitioning into the Luke Fickle you know, era at Wisconsin, but, and, and Hayden mentioned that well, but I think that the biggest thing is they're completely transforming this entire team and, and the way that the offense works, right? You know, Wisconsin as being a, you know, ground and pound, run the ball, you know, that's all they do. And the quarterbacks have been, you know, fair to partly cloudy for the better part of the last 10 to 15 years. They're completely switching it now. They're going to be running air raid. It's going to look like, you know, your big 12 teams that are throwing it all over the yard and, and that's cool and that's good, but usually you need a couple years to kind of make that transition, right? Because you don't necessarily have all the players, like the receivers on Wisconsin, yes, they got a couple transfers and they did well in the transfer portal, but the receivers with Wisconsin and, and the offensive line, like they're not trained to be able to run the air raid where you're running a play every 10 seconds, right? So I think that the transition is going to be, this is a good transition year for Wisconsin. They'll probably still have a good record just because their schedule is so easy, but I think that Iowa is set up for just continuing on their path to, you know, have a dominating defense and, They've gotten good transfer pieces and you know, on the offensive end to where they're not going to end up winning a game seven to three with a field goal and two safeties this year. Okay, because that actually happened last year, as I mentioned in our last podcast. So I think Iowa's going to come out of the West. I think Michigan's going to come out of the East. Michigan, and as Hayden mentioned, whoever comes out of the East is going to be a, at least a ten point favorite against whoever comes out of the West, and they're going to win that game. They're probably going to cover that spread, right? So I, I do think that Michigan will will win the Big Ten this year as well. All right. Well, there you go. We've got two different championships and two different champions as a result. So there you go. A little bit, little bit of a variety there. Like Matt said, our SEC championship slash champions were very, very similar. So with that being said, we're going to move right into the ACC coming up first here. So Clemson is the first team that we're going to talk about here. And Clemson is a really interesting team this year in college football. They've got a new offensive coordinator, Garrett Riley, from TCU, which is huge. I, I think that this is probably one of the biggest moves in college football. Brother of Lincoln Riley, who was obviously had three straight Heisman quarterbacks at Oklahoma, led Oklahoma to the college football playoff however many years in a row, now is at USC with Caleb Williams, who just won a Heisman quarterback. So basically the last four quarterbacks that Lincoln Riley's had, and we'll talk about him later in the, in the Pac-12 yeah. um, section – have, have all won the Heisman, and, and so this is his brother, who is basically like a cologne version of him. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, and he's a different guy, so it's not like he's going to have all the, all the success that Lincoln Riley's had. And he's not even he's not even the head coach, right? You know, you still got Dabo Sweeney at the helm there at head coach, but, he's, but Garrett Riley is the offensive coordinator coming over from TCU. And again, I said that this is huge because look at how good TCU's offense was last year. I mean, TCU, they made it to the college football playoff. They obviously, I mean, they got they got crushed. Uh, but, uh, but undefeated in the regular season. I mean, they lost the Big 12 yeah. championship, but yeah. Yeah, exactly. So th I, they were, they had one of the best offenses in the nation. That's how they were able to get to the college football playoff last year. This is huge for Clemson. Uh, Clemson also has a returning quarterback, Cade Klubnik, who was the guy that took over for DJ Uyuglele, who we will also talk about a little bit later on in this episode. Um, but yeah, Kate Klubnik was, I think he was a, he was a true freshman last year. I'm pretty sure. And then this year he's going to be a, a, a sophomore, but he, he started most of the season or kind of like the, the latter half of the season last year for Clemson. He's returning. He was a five-star recruit. I'm pretty sure. So he's, I mean, he's going to be set in stone, the starter week one. Uh, I think he's going to prove them, himself this year. Last year he had a couple struggles, you know, kind of like early on in his starts, but, I mean, that's kind of expected for – especially for a true freshman, a guy that's coming in right out of high school. They didn't redshirt him at all. He, it's his first year playing, and he's 
He's playing on one of the biggest stages in college football. I think he's going to be able to prove himself a lot this year. He's definitely going to develop a lot and already has developed a lot in the offseason. They've also gotten a guy named Will Shipley, who I have described on, on this Google Doc as a three-headed monster because I can't really name three things. that he. I mean, well, he he catches the ball well, he runs the ball well, and then I think, I think he's, he, all, he's the returner yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, so you're right. He is three-headed. Yeah, he, he's, he's the, he's, he is the definition of a three-headed monster. He does everything for this team. I mean, he's, he's like one of those play. He's like a high school player, your typical high school player that does everything for his team. He's that, but for one of the best college teams in the country. So he's – He's just a pure athlete. He just know. I don't know. He's 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 a football player. That's a, that's what we like to call him. Well, and remember too. Player. Hey, remember Jordan Shipley from Texas? Yes, who did all the same things. Brother, his, yeah. It's his brother. So yeah. Jordan Shipley was a three headed monster at Texas when they were you know uh, Colt McCoy and they were winning championships in two thousand eight, two thousand nine. Yeah. And so this is his brother who does the exact same thing. Right. Exactly. And then the last thing I'll say about Clemson is the on the defensive side of the ball. That's probably their biggest question. Everybody was questioning their front seven now that Brian Breesey and Miles Murphy are gone. They're both first-round picks in the NFL draft this past year. Actually, back-to-back picks, I'm pretty sure. But apparently, they've gotten a bunch of transfers. Again, transfer portals is huge this year. We've talked about it so many times in the Big Ten and SEC episodes. Their front set, they've got, I think they've got two of the best linebackers in the country returning this year um, at Clemson, and then they're going to be able to replace that defensive line pretty well too with some transfers that are coming in. So Clemson, watch out for Clemson to be a very, very competitive team this year. Wouldn't be surprised if they can make a playoff run. I completely agree. Um, I think the, the overall general scope of, of Clemson coming kind of coming off these last few years, ever since Tra- Trevor Lawrence left, has been, oh, well, they, you know, they've fallen off a cliff. They've, they've gone downhill. Well, they've won 10 games in every season since then, right? I, even with all the quarterback strife, with DJ not being kind of the, the guy that you thought he would be uh, and, the, and the defense kind of always holding strong there. And, and so but they're still they're just they're just as big of a force as they as they always have been. I mean, you think about it last year, if they don't lose to South Carolina in that weird game to end the season, Clemson's winning the ACC championship and probably going to the playoff, right? Um and, and Ohio State was basically able to 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 kind of take that spot from them after they lost to South Carolina. And I think and Hayden went over kind of the you know the, the transition of of players here where right your quarterback is probably improving because the you know DJ Owenglele for how all that he was supposed to be didn't really pan out and for what Clay Cade Klubnik is again he he's not necessarily had the most experience but the best experience that you can get is just playing in this offense right uh, which and for Clemson again like you know they're playing in a, in a soft ACC and their schedule is pretty easy so. Those games where normally you'd think that, you know, oh, well, he's going to have to perform really well. Like, no, they don't really have. I mean, they, they obviously they play Florida State, I think, at the end of September. And that's the biggest game in the ACC for the entire football season. And that's going to kind of, you know, prove that, well, I mean, they're, they're going to end up playing again in the ACC championship because this is the first year that the ACC, thankfully, um, is not playing with divisions either. So it's going to be the two best teams that come out of the ACC, regardless of, like, previous division or whatever it's just gonna be the two best records that's who goes to the college or the um that conference championship and so I think overall you know right when you think about Clemson you're like oh well you know they're not as good because they're not winning championships anymore well they're still they're still really really good and and again you know one game here and there away from even making the college football playoff to begin with um you just kind of don't have that generational quarterback and I think over the years you got to think about too like they had Taj Boy they you go from Taj Boy to Deshaun Watson to Trevor Lawrence those are three generational quarterbacks all in a row so if you don't hit on a one quarterback after that, I think, you know, you kind of get to give him a little bit of slack for that. Right. Um, and, and I think as Hayden mentioned, like on the defensive end, right, you lose Miles Murphy, you lose Brian Brzee, but 
Clemson is just, I mean, if there's any school that, that pumps out D linemen and is just always has, you know, a ferocious defense and, a, and especially, you know, a, a, a really good front seven, it's Clemson because of the way that they develop their guys, right? And they coach so well that it doesn't really matter. And, and Clemson, actually, I mean, Hayden mentioned transfers. They only take a couple, tra- they're, they're weirdly enough, one of the only teams in college football that doesn't really, they don't really do the transfer portal a lot. They kind of are just like, you know what, we got our guys, you know, they're going to kind of rise up through the ranks. We're going to coach them up. They're going to get to the play eventually. And right, we're going to go win championships and that's kind of the, the model that they've had and, and it's really it's I mean it's still working to this day so so I think that you know kind of if you're coming into this episode you're like ah you know I haven't really heard of Clemson that much in the past few years yeah it's because they haven't been making the playoff but they've still been having you know insane like really really talented teams and I think this year with such a soft bottom of the ACC which we're not going to get to all the ACC teams this year but I mean right your Virginia Tech's you know UVA itself Georgia Tech teams like that are not good and it's like you know Clemson's of the world are going to beat up on them all day long and so looked for Clemson to have a really good record and be competing for a playoff spot as Hayden said towards the end of the season all right moving on to our second team here which is Florida State and it it was tough to kind of decipher who we were going to talk about first in this episode either Clemson or Florida State because Florida State arguably could be or I don't I don't think their preseason ranking is better than Clemson no they are they're I think they're number three to start the season Clemson's going to be top 10 but yeah Florida State's higher it's in terms of like the odds to win like the championship and stuff obviously it depends on who's betting what I think more people have bet on Clemson just because like the odds were higher at first so Clemson's odds I technically are worse I think Um, but like their win totals the same pretty much everything's the same but Florida State does have the higher rank but as we've proven Hayden the AP polls they're just a joke okay yes. so you can't really take that for granted yes. or you, you should take it for granted in terms of what teams are actually better exactly all right so florida state the, the first thing that i have written down for florida state is that lsu and clemson are their only their only two tests this season i mean other than playing lsu and clemson they have a really really easy schedule in florida state terms so and again it's because they're playing the acc which matt just mentioned that acc has a very very it's very top heavy it's 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 you know like a couple really good teams, and then you've got some very, very bad teams as well. So LSU is week one, and I, I made a note of this because if they're able to beat LSU week one, which, again, LSU is another one of the best teams in the country. They have one of the best outlooks on this season in general um, in you know across the nation. And if they're able to beat LSU week one, that is huge for them because, again, they go 1-0 in, in week one. They've got – a bunch of games in between them and in between LSU and Clemson. And then assuming they, they can beat LSU, they can probably beat Clemson too. And then maybe even win the ACC. Like they could, they could easily go undefeated. Matt's said it, um, you know, in, in the past, in our past episodes that Florida state is, is easily an undefeated team this year. If they, if they play their cards right. And if they do beat LSU, they basically got an undefeated season ahead of them. Uh, they're, they're going to be able to replace their, their losses on the O line. I think that they had two guys go to the NFL, this past year from Florida State, they're going to be able to replace those guys. And then the other note that I have is that Jordan Travis was one of the most overlooked quarterbacks last year. You probably haven't even heard of his name, but he was a huge, huge part of their team last year, huge part of their success last year, kind of getting back on track from the glory days back when Jameis Winston was there. Um, and that's kind of like the last time that they were good. But yeah, Jordan Travis is here and and he's bringing Florida State back. They've also got Johnny Wilson who is a wide receiver. He's 6-7. Yeah. And Keon Coleman is coming over from Michigan State. He's one of the best wide receivers in the country and he's transferring over to Florida State as well. So they're adding another stud uh, at at the wide receiver wide receiver position and yeah, they've got a 6-7 dude that's going to be Mawson kids in the end zone. 
They're also bringing over tight end Jaheim Bell from South Carolina. You haven't heard of that name, but you will once he plays for Florida State. Um, probably the best tight end clock prospect coming out of this year in terms of like the NFL draft type and whatever. Um, just a freakishly athletic guy who's, again, going to be more of a receiver than a blocking tight end, but but that's really what you need, especially when it comes to college football and the way that Florida State's going to be playing offense. It's 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 really, I mean, this offense is, is built to win football games, and I think Hayden kind of did it well in terms of, you know, just kind of describing their overall talent and what's coming back. The offensive line, in terms of combined starts, and I was listening to another podcast, I think, um, I forget the guy's name, um, Jeff Passan, I think is his name. Whoever is one of like the, the the insider deep deep dive guys for, for college football for ESPN said that this is the most start like combined start in terms of offensive line like the entire offensive line like the whole depth of the offensive line second string third string whatever this is the most combined starts that an offensive line college offensive line has had in the history of the sport so like just in terms of you know games played and everything like this is the most experienced offensive line that you've ever seen now now right they're not necessarily the most talented but right you can't especially when it comes to college football you can't really play replace every anything with experience that's really the you know kind of the key thing because it not only determines well, not only are you able to kind of get used to how the game is played, but you're also able to determine who's actually able to play and not. The defense leaves a little bit to be desired, but again, you know, when your offense is scoring this many points, you only need your defense to do so much. Um, and I think that that's going to definitely be the the story of of Florida State's season. And Hayden mentioned the schedule; they play LSU in the first game of the season, Sunday, September 5th or something like that. Um, I think it's the 4th or 5th or whatever. That's probably going to be one of the best games all year. It's going to be I think the LSU's number 5, so it's going to be number 3. It's a top 5 matchup to start the season and again, it's so funny because these teams played on the same day last year and nobody really cared and it was a sloppy game and Florida State ended up actually winning but on like a missed extra, like LSU missed a, an extra point or it got blocked or something. Some crazy thing happened to end the game and it just looked horrible and then you, it's, you look back on that this year and you're like, oh my my God, like these these teams last year looked like they didn't even know how to play football, and now they're coming in as two top five teams, like kind of you know the dark horses to to win the championship this year. So uh, it, it's crazy, kind of how the how, how the teams have progressed since then. But right, so they play Florida State in the first game. They play Clemson actually early this year. I think I think the last week in September. So weirdly enough, Florida State could start two and two. And then finish eight and zero, right? And and that's kind of the weird part about how the college football schedule works is that like, if Florida State's not up to it, you know, they, right? They they could actually lose, you know, two of their first four games. But this, the rest of the schedule is so easy, as Hayden mentioned, that they're probably going to win all of those anyway, right? So um, it, it kind of just depends on how well they do in that game against LSU and the game against Clemson. That's kind of going to determine their regular season record. But again, you know, when it and and as Hayden mentioned, right, the, the ACC is so top heavy. These two teams, man, are really the only t- like again it's, in terms of the odds. Like I think, I think LSU or I think Clemson and Florida State are both like one plus one fifty or something like that. And I think Louisville's the next highest team in terms of odds, or maybe UNC or whatever. And they're like plus nine hundred or plus yeah. a thousand. So it's like nobody's even going to be competing besides Florida and Clemson, or Florida State and Clemson. Um, so so in terms of you know who's going to be competing for the conference. It, it really only matters kind of how well you do in the regular season because that's how you're going to, you know, be able to determine your, your, your playoff spot. So if Clemson and Florida state are going to be, you know, just kind of, you know, duking it out for who can we have the best regular season record to build that playoff record, to be able to make the college football playoff, because these teams both know that they're going to run through the ACC. And then it kind of just depends on who comes out on top to end the season. All right. Moving on to our third team from the ACC is UNC. So North Carolina here, they've got a new offensive coordinator, Chip Lindsey and apparently he has some pretty interesting plans for the offense I've heard that he's gonna he's gonna try to take more of the pressure off of Drake May's shoulders which Drake May is one of the 
best quarterbacks in the country. He's probably he's probably regarded as the best quarterback in the country behind Caleb Williams from USC. He kind of was last year too. I mean, other than Bryce Young and and CJ Stroud, he was up. He was still up there in the top four or five quarterback conversations last year. So he's in the top two conversation this year, and it's kind of interesting because I I mean Drake May is going to be Drake May. We we know that he's going to be good. We know that he's going to be able to make plays. But apparently, their new OC Chip Lindsey is is planning on putting more focus on the run game or putting more of of a focus on the run game. Apparently, they have pretty pretty decent running backs this year and so he's going to try to kind of implement more of the running game to take more pressure off of Drake May's shoulders but I don't I don't know if that's going to be the best decision for UNC because Drake May is so good and he did so well last year so why would you even really try to take more pressure off of him put the ball in his hands and he's going to make a play I don't know that that's that's my thinking behind it but on the defensive side of the ball that's going to be their problem again this year it's going to be this UNC is going to team is going to look a lot like they did last year Again, aside from switching to the running game more, their defense is is probably going to be pretty abysmal like it was last year. Uh, last year, fun fact, they almost they they were almost I think they were 129th out of 131 FBS teams in sacks and tackles for loss. So they just can't get in the backfield. They have almost no pass rush, and when you don't have a pass rush, your secondary just can't really be good in general. Because if you if you can't get to the quarterback, the quarterback has enough time for the receivers to get open, open somehow. So they don't really have a pass rush. They don't really have a, a good front seven that can get in the backfield. And that's going to be, that's going to be the downfall fall of their team again this year. Yeah. It's, it's, it's so bad. Um, I, I'm, I am down on UNC this year. I don't think they're going to do well. Um, I mean, they're, they're probably still going to have, you know, seven, eight wins, but I, in terms of like competing for the ACC championship, all that stuff. No, I don't, I don't, I don't think that's possible. And that's where, you know, the, the Heisman stuff with Drake may kind of comes into play is like, He's he is the he's the team, right? There's there's not like you know, every other Heisman contender is gonna have, you know, a, a good defense to support them, good running back, good receivers, and, and and you think about the you know the talent that the UNC has, it's just not really not really there anymore. I mean, when Sal, Sam Howell was there, you had Javante Williams and Michael Carter both in one year. Like they're starting NFL running backs right now, right? Um it, you know, you had Josh Downs, like all these good receivers too. So there's there's always a transition of talent, which you kind of have to, you know, just in college football, that's just what happens. But it's almost like UNC was like, Oh, we'll be fine with Drake May. We don't need to get anybody else. And it's like I mean, yes. Quarterback is the most important player on the team, and and kind of that you know everything kind of revolves around him. But if you don't have a generational quarterback like Drake Drake May, is UNC who's probably a four or five win team this year. I mean, he is he is quite literally carrying this team, and so there's only and and there's only so far that, that he can that he can take them. I mean, they're going to be a good team, right? They were last year, but they're only losing talent. Their defense is only probably getting worse. Um, and, and so so right, so he's going to put up a ton of numbers. He's going to look like a good Heisman contender. And, and honestly, I mean, you know, I, I I don't think his draft stock will change at all. I mean, there's always guys that kind of come out of the blue and and. Uh, you know, and, and kind of mix things up, but but I, I definitely I definitely think that it's Caleb Williams and, and and Drake May in terms of you know the top two picks of next year's NFL draft. That's not going to change, but I think that you know based on the way that UNC performs this year, it's not going to be as good as last year. And he may look really good, but the team isn't going to be as good overall, right? So it's going to be one of those interesting things where you know he's probably he's he should be at least still the second pick, you know, the second NFL second overall pick in the NFL draft next year, but his, his stock might fall a little bit. His Heisman contendership, you know, was probably not going to be there simply because the rest of the team just is, isn't, isn't really there to support him. So I, I don't really like the outlook for UNC this year. They're again, they're going to have a winning record simply because they have Drake may, but after he leaves, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't really see much of a future for this team. Yeah, that's exactly right. Very much the same sentiment 
from both Madden and I on UNC. All right, moving on to the fourth team here in the ACC. We've got Louisville, who I barely even researched at all. I just Louisville is one of those teams that it's it's kind of like they're they're in I, transition. Yes, and it feels like they almost always are, and they've usually got a pretty deep like decent defense, and then they've always got a really good quarterback for some reason, but then sometimes he gets hurt and it's, and they've got the same style of quarterback always. That's really the only thing that I, that I have to say about Louisville. So I'm going to let Matt talk about them more in depth. Yeah. So, so the transition obviously comes from, so their, their previous head coach guy named Marcus Satterfield, um, he, well, actually, actually what happened was, so Jeff Brom is now their coach, right? Jeff Brom. He coached at Purdue the last five or six years. And you remember that, you know, that crazy game that Purdue had where they won at, you know, at Ohio State. Um, Purdue actually made it to the Big Ten Championship last year. They got crushed by Michigan, but they still, you know, they came out of the West. They won the Big Ten West and they were in the Big Ten Championship last year. And at a school like Purdue, right, that's kind of one of those academic schools where you're not going to get the best recruits, especially in the Big Ten, right? I mean, a random school in Indiana. Like, he, Jeff Brom did an amazing job for what he... For, for what the limits were on a Purdue program that's not consistently competing, you know, at the top of college football. that He he had them there. And he's from Kentucky. He gra- he went to Louisville. He graduated from there. So this is like a huge homecoming for a really, really good coach in college football. Marcus Satterfield, their old coach, he was okay, but people were kind of like, yeah, he's 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 not he he there's a there's a floor with that team where he's gonna, you know, he's gonna be able to coach them to a couple, you know, a certain amount of wins, but they're never really gonna be able to compete in, you know, in the overall, you know, kind of the, the overall landscape of the ACC. A guy like Jess Brom is gonna do that for them, right? Now, it's not gonna be this year, and, and people are already really high on the Louisville train again. I'm I'm kind of I'm deep in the betting space. So I'm listening to all these podcasts and whatever, and, and right, people are, are betting on Louisville to win the conference and everything. It's not gonna happen this year. They are still gonna be good this year, though. I think they're probably still gonna be the third best team in the ACC. I think they're gonna be better than UNC this year. Uh we're just kind of, we're going down the list in terms of like the win totals and stuff. And so I think UNC is like eight and a half and, and and Louisville's eight. But I, I could see Louisville winning eight or nine games this year uh, pretty easily. Like Hayden said, their defenses, they bring a lot back on defense. They they bring over so Malik Cunningham has been their quarterback, who's kind of the, he was kind of like he was kind of like Lamar Jackson light there for the last three or four years. They bring in Jack Plummer, who actually played at Purdue with Jeff Brom like a couple years ago. So like Jack Plummer is familiar with the Jeff Brom system. They're gonna they're gonna run it back. So they're gonna be good this year, but they're not gonna they're they're only going to get better, right? And so this is a team, you know, much like you know, kind of like we've talked about with LSU. Um, I feel like there was another one that we were that we were mentioning earlier. I mean, like one of the other teams. I think in the SEC. Um, I was I was thinking about um, oh Auburn. All right, with with Hugh Freeze. Teams like that where you know they have new head coaches that fit the system perfectly for where they're at. Um, but but kind of just need a couple of years to kind of get it going. So so Louisville's going to be pretty good this year. Um, you know, kind of better than they have been. Uh, but but in future years, that's when like give you know give Jeff Brom like three or four years there, he's going to be competing for the ACC championship year in and year out. All right, next team up is Miami. Uh, their offensive line here. This this is one of the most experienced offensive lines in the country. They could be one of the best in the nation as well. They've got Zion Nelson, who's who's their left tackle. He's returning. He was one of the best left tackles in the country last year, and he's returning this year for another year. Uh, I think I think they lost a couple of guy, but a couple of guys, but they also got some transfers. I think one guy from like Oklahoma State or something like that coming in to Miami. And offensive line is, is really where it all starts. I mean, a lot of people forget that, but in football, it all starts in the trenches. And if you have a really good offensive line. You've got a really good base to your team. So Miami, I, I kind of like Miami better than I did last year, better than, you know, in, in years past. Tyler Van Dyke is also returning at quarterback. He just needs to stay healthy. He's, he got hurt last year. 
I think it was like a either shoulder or knee injury or something like something of that nature. He needs to stay healthy. He's a he's a pretty good quarterback. He just hasn't really been able to prove himself at all, especially under the transition of of going to uh, Mario Cristobal from Oregon last year. It just wasn't it, it didn't really fit right. But again, this year, assuming everybody can stay healthy, uh, this Miami team could could make a pretty good run. They've also on the defensive side of the ball got an All American safety, Cameron Kitchens, or did I say that? yeah, Kinchin, Kinchins. Uh, he's pretty much the only star-studded guy on this on this defense. Other than that, their defense is is looking pretty mid. But again, if you've got an All-American safety, hopefully he can kind of be the leader and 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 lead that defense to a to a more promising year than they've had last year and and, and years past. But again, this offense, if they stay healthy, they could be. It could be a really, really good offense in the ACC. Yeah, over the past few years, Miami – well, and it's funny. Miami and Texas A&M have basically been the two most underperforming, underwhelming, classic, you know, big money, you know, historic programs of college football – these teams have just been horrible in the last like you know five to six years, where you expect them to do so well, and then they just completely underperform uh, their you know their expectations. And I think that so Mario Cristobal obviously right. They they hired last year was his first year. He came over from Oregon. He had really great success at Oregon. Um, he hired he he hired a new offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator last year. Both of them he fired this offseason, right? Showing that he just kind of made the wrong hires, right? And, and he's been a head coach long enough to know, to, to where we know that if he's able to hire these guys and fire them within, within one year, he knows they weren't right for for what Miami's trying to do. So he has two new guys coming in starting this year. Again, it's it's still they're still kind of in this transition period. But another team, similar to what I was saying about Louisville, where I think they have the right guy at head coach. You just kind of have to give him a couple years. But I mean, man, like I, they were five and seven last year. If they have another losing record this year, I, I think it's you know that's when the questions start to arise. I do think they're going to win more than five games this year, as Hayden mentioned. They're you know they're kind of starting to build up that transfer portal. Uh, you know the transfer portal program. You know, they have some NIL money where they can start kind of offering guys coming out of high school. So I think it should start to improve in the next couple of years here. But I do think they're kind of wasting Tyler Van Dyke, a guy who was two years ago, flash as a freshman. People are like, he's a first round quarterback. And now it's like, is he even going to be drafted at all? Right. Um, so I, I, I hope for him that he's able to have a good season. But there's just so much still, you know, still new there that, you know, there's going to be a whole new offense and defense this year. We're going to have to see how that works. Uh, but I think that the overall talent level is going to kind of give them a floor, a solid floor to where, you know, they'll probably still be able to make a bowl game this year. Alrighty, moving into NC State, talking about a team that's getting Brennan Armstrong, a great quarterback transferring from UVA. Brennan Armstrong, if you don't know who he is, he was, he's been UVA's quarterback for the past two or three years. I, I, th- I think it's actually been three years. And he's done a really good job, or he did a really good job his first two years starting at UVA. But then last year, with the new offensive coordinator that came in, um, Des Kitchings, he he didn't really do well under Kitchings. And so he decided to transfer to NC State. And he's meeting his old friend, Robert Anai, who used to be the offensive coordinator for UVA and quarterbacks coach, coming in as the offensive coordinator from Syracuse. So they're reuniting both of them coming into NC State. And this is important because this is because Robert and I and and Brennan Armstrong had that huge season. Brennan Armstrong's junior season, he's now a fifth year senior, but his junior season at UVA, he went absolutely crazy. That was that was the year that UVA's offense was the best in the ACC. I'm pretty sure, and I think Brennan Armstrong had over four thousand passing yards. It was like it was in like the forty four hundred range, which he almost led the nation in passing. Yeah, yeah, like he had. I mean, he wasn't in the Heisman voting. Like he wasn't in the finalists, but he had a few Heisman votes. I'm pretty sure, like to be in the finalist group, just because he let he had so many passing yards and was 
this all you know Virginia's offense under Robin and I and and Brian Armstrong were were crazy or was crazy so that's going to be the key to look at here um I know that Matt can talk about some or losing Devin Leary who was who was one, who was their quarterback one of the best quarterbacks in the nation so Matt go ahead and talk about that uh, yeah they they lose Devin Leary okay and, and and he's been really good for NC State I think he's played I think he played there for three years um and and he transferred to Kentucky, and I think that's a good move for him as well. He had some injury troubles. He wasn't always, you know, kind of there. And 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 I think that NC State's one of those teams, um, you know, kind of like you're like your Oklahoma State of the world, where every time they have a lot of expectations, they don't do very well. And then when they don't have any expectations, that's when they shine. And this is one of those years where they don't have any expectations because last year they had a lot of expectations. Devin Leary, I think, got hurt in the sixth game of the season, so he was out for half the season. I think their win total was like eight and a half, nine last year. They only won eight games, or I think maybe seven. I think, yeah, I think it was seven um, because they were playing with a backup. I think they, they played with like four different quarterbacks last year because after Devin Leary went down, they didn't really have anybody, right? So this year, obviously, you get in Brennan Armstrong and, and Robert and I, as Hayden mentioned, that is the most key quarterback offensive coordinator combo probably in the entire country, maybe, maybe other than Washington. And we're going to talk about them a little bit later um, because of how well they work together. Robert and I system, it worked at Syracuse last year, right? Syracuse started six and oh. So it's, it's one of those, one of those things where the coach is almost more important than like, the well, the offensive coordinator and, the, and kind of the the way that the, you know the scheme works is more important than like the the program overall. And you're thinking about it too, like NC State, they're coming off of. So Tim Beck was the guy who was who was previously NC State's offensive coordinator. He actually now is the head coach of Coastal Carolina. But a lot of people, he Tim Beck's offensive systems were very bland. He ran the ball all the time. Devin Lee was a great quarterback, and he never even really utilized him, right? So now you're getting the complete opposite, right? Not only are you getting – and Brennan Armstrong can run, too. He's, he's a really great yeah. you know, dual-threat quarterback. And so you're getting a, 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 an offensive coordinator in there who, who actually wants to utilize the skills of his quarterback – Who've already, you know, they've already played together at a worse overall program in UVA, and ha- and, and still had such an amazing season. So I think UVA, or I think NC State is in for a big year. Um, I think their win total is only six and a half. I bet the over. I think they're they're at least going to win seven games. Um, obviously, right. I don't think they're they're not, they're not going to be as good as as, as Clemson or or, uh, or Florida State. But in terms of like you know this year for what NC State can be, it's going to be a lot better than expectations. Yeah, for sure. All right, moving on to Pitt. Is the, is the next team here, second to last team that we're going to talk about in the ACC? Phil Yarkovich. This is, this is really the only uh, the only piece that I have to say about Pitt. Well, I, I have two pieces, but Phil Yarkovich is their new QB and offensive new offensive coordinator uh, Frank Signetti. They're going to be reunited, much like Armstrong, Brennan Armstrong, and Robert and I are. They played at our, they were at Boston College together earlier on in Yarkovich's career. And I guess also Signetti's career, um, but yeah, they're they're going to be reunited after playing together at Boston College. They're going to be together at Pitt. So it's again, it's 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 that QB offensive coordinator connection. Pitt's offense kind of has struggled a little bit. You know, I mean, Kenny Pickett was was at the helm there for a few, for a few years, and he was definitely the the highlight of their offense in past years. But last year they kind of struggled a little bit. Their offense did at least, um, but defensively, this team th- this is where this team dominates on defense I think that they were they either led the nation in sacks last year or they were second they were definitely top two or top three in sacks last year and then also tackles for loss I think they were like a top five team in the country last year so this front seven much like Clemson's front seven maybe not as good as maybe not you know as talented as Clemson's front seven but they get to the quarterback and that's that's where this whole team really thrives off of is their front seven um, and, and really just their defense in general. So hopefully their defense will be able to kind of 
keep it consistent from last season and be good, and then their their offense will with Yurkovich and Signetti coming in. Uh, hopefully that that'll kind of bring it together. Yeah, hey, the only thing they lose off the defense is Kalaja Kansi, who was drafted in the first round of the NFL. Um, but but again, and you know, right? People are oh, you know, the last Pitt defensive defensive tackle to come out of Pitt was Aaron Donald, and look at him, and you know, Kalaja Kansi this year. So it's one of those things that after enough after enough prospects like that that are coming out of this school, you have to realize that it's the school that you know does really well with these players and, and puts them in position to succeed when it comes to the NFL. So um, I think it's it's not like you're saying oh well, you know, they lose you know, Aaron Donald and they, and then they lose Kalaja Kansi and it's like, oh, their defense is going to be horrible now. No, it's the opposite. It's the fact that, you know, the, the coaching is what makes these players great to be able to succeed at the NFL level. So I think that they're, they're always going to be, and again, Pitts, Pitts is probably the best like floor team where like their floor is going to be six wins, like pretty much every year, you know, it, they have a tough, they be like, they play at Heinz field too. Right. So like they have a tough kind of their, they're in the middle there in the ACC where like Florida state's going to have to go to Pitt in like the middle of October, where it's probably gonna be rainy and cold and Florida state's not going to want to play in that weather Pitt's going to be like bring it on we're going to run the ball down your throat right so just the way that they play football and Pat Narduzzi their head coach is just one of the most solid head coaches in all of football um so so yeah so I, I think right as much as Pitt's kind of just kind of a, a middle of the pack team it's like they're always middle of the pack and and sometimes they're really good like when Kenny Pickett was there they won the ACC championship but they're never going to be they're never going to be on the bottom of the ACC. They're always going to have you know that that at least the middle of the ground. They're definitely going to make a bowl game. Um, so I, I've I've been thinking about their win total. I think it was six and a half and it moved to seven. I was going to bet the over six and a half, um, but now that it's seven, I don't I don't know. I'm not going to put my money on that they can get to eight wins. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if they do because again, this is just a very solid program overall. All right, and last team in the ACC here. I'm going to let Matt talk about him because. The only the only thing I really know about him is that they're losing Sam Hartman, who was the heart it's of Wake team. Forest, it's by Wake the way. Forest. The team. Yes. Yeah. Well, yes. I was gonna say that after Sam Hartman, but yes, it's Wake Forest. They're losing Sam Hartman, and that's really the only thing I know about them. They they've had a pretty good offense. They've been surprisingly good in the past few years, just because they haven't really been known as as being a great football program. But they they've kind of built it up the past few years, and I I think that this year they're kind of they're kind of gonna level down a little bit from what they've had in past years just because Sam Hartman is leaving. But Matt, go ahead. Yeah, they, they're they not going to – I mean, they were playing Pitt in the ACC championship. Interestingly enough, I just was talking about this. Like, two years ago, these last two teams we talked about, Pitt and Wake Forest, are playing each other in the ACC championship. Um, but, but right, I, they're not going to be at that height because Sam Hartman is a really good quarterback. But you – and I think it's being overblown because he went to Notre Dame and it's, oh, Notre Dame's going to be so good this year because they got Sam Hartman. I think this offensive system at Wake Forest is what proves the quarterbacks to be good more so than the quarterbacks themselves. Obviously, yes, Sam Hartman's a good quarterback. He's going to do well at Notre Dame. He's probably going to be drafting the NFL. He's a great quarterback, right? But the offensive system, it's called a slow, the slow mesh scheme. If you ever watch, just literally just Google a, high, a YouTube highlight of Wake Forest offense. It's called the slow mesh, where essentially... It's like in college, you know, the typical college offense where what it used to be with the RPO run pass option where the quarterback, you know, fakes the handoff to the running back or like has the option to, you know, to run or not. But basically what the, the difference is that when the quarterback is has the ball and he and he hands it off to the running back, they basically just stay there. So the quarterback can't, like puts the puts the running puts the ball in the running back stomach and they both just stand there. The quarterback looks at what the linebackers are doing. If they come forward, he passes the ball. If they drop back, he hands it off. And it's almost like because obviously with football, the basic concepts like the defense reacts to what the offense does and tries to stop them and the offense, you know, runs their play and then, you know, it tries to beat the defense. But this offense is like 
the way this offense is run, it basically flips that entire concept to where the offense is basically reacting to what the defense does. So, and, and the defense only has a certain amount of time before they got to choose what they're going to do. And by that point, the offense can choose what they want to do and, and beat the defense that way. So I think that Wake Forest is still going to be really good. I mean, they're not going to, again, they're not going to be winning, you know, eight, nine games or anything, but, but they're, they're still going to be a solid team. They also have a really tough schedule this year too. Uh, so that's going to maybe knock them down a few pegs along with losing Sam Hartman. So yeah, they're probably going to be a six win team ish. But again, I say it mentioned, like this isn't a typical team that you think of being like a you know a solid contender in the ACC or you know a middle a solid like team that always gets to a bowl game. They used to be you know a three four win team. Like Dave Clawson is their head coach and he's kind of developed this offensive scheme, the slow mesh, where pretty much anyone can run it and it's it's very easy and it beats a lot of defenses. And I think that's going to set them up for a pretty good amount of success going forward. Well, that's the end of the ACC. That was actually eight teams instead of seven. So we have fifteen teams total to go through here. We got seven more, and that's coming from the Pac twelve. So let's move right into the Pac-12 here. USC is our first team. Again, the offense will not be the problem this this year. It, they, it never really has, at least in the past few years. They've got Caleb, Caleb Williams, the best player, best quarterback in the country, uh, going to be the first overall pick in the draft next year, hands down, probably may even win the Heisman for the second year in the row. He's just amazing. I mean, you, you don't really need to talk about this offense much. On the defensive side of the ball, that's where things get a little bit shaky, especially when you're expected to be, expected to be the top team in your conference. You've got to have at least a competitive defense or a, a decent defense, and that's kind of where this USC team has a little bit of question marks. They've got Bear Alexander coming over at, de- at defensive tackle from Georgia. You, you say defensive tackle in Georgia in the same sentence, you know that that player is going to be good. So... They've got a guy coming over from Georgia. His name is Bear Alexander, defensive tackle. He's he's going to be good. Uh, they've also got a couple other transfers coming over on the defensive side of the ball. So hopefully their team will be more – their defense will be more experienced this year than they were last year. Uh, the, the, the last thing that I'll say about this team is – and it does have to do with the offensive side of the ball – is that Lincoln Riley, this is a pretty cool stat, in the, past, in, in the seven years that he's had at – as a head coach of just straight success, this is the this is the second time ever in those past seven years that he's actually returning a quarterback. So he's working with Caleb Williams, who, who who he worked with last year. There's only been one other time in his seven year career that he's worked with the same quarterback that he worked with last year. So that just that just tells you how good Lincoln Riley is, going from quarterback to quarterback to quarterback and having them win Heisman trophies having them being, you know, the first overall pick in the NFL draft, like, that is how good Lincoln Riley is. He can go from quarterback to quarterback and just have so much success with them, lead them to, you know, a a 10 or 11 win season easily. And that also shows you how good this USC team can be because, again, he's, he's working with the same guy that he worked with last year. So why can't he be double as good? That that's, that's what I'm thinking here with this, this USC team. They're going to be really, really good, and we already know that they are, and they're moving to the Big Ten next year, so that's that's kind of the, the roundup on them for me. Yeah, it, it's Hayden's exactly right. It's not going to be, I mean, anything different than last year. They're right. They bring out Hayden. I mean, it was a great stat. They, you know, they they bring back Lincoln Riley returns as a quarterback for the second time in, in his seven years as head coach. And three of those seven years, he had a quarterback win the Heisman. Right. So you think about this guy and just what he does with offense overall. It's it's pretty unstoppable. Um, I don't even have too much to offer. I think you know, obviously, they're going to be favored to win the Pac-12. They're going to be favored to to well. To make the college football playoff, they should, um, and and you know probably a dark horse to win the national championship. But 
and Hayden mentioned it, right? The defense, they they get, you know, they get Bear Alexander, they got a couple other transfers, but the defense was really, really bad last year. They, I think, were, I want to say, in like in the bottom half of, of, in terms of like scoring defense, you know, points allowed, all that stuff in the entire country last year. Um, and, and I think they were number one in turnover luck. Like they basically had, like, in terms of like, Turnovers they weren't supposed to get, or turnovers that they, you know, their defense caused that their offense didn't, you know, didn't give up. Uh, so look for that to regress a little bit in terms of like the turnovers that they're, you know, that they're forcing. But I think they're 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 a little bit better on defense to kind of overcome the turnover luck. So I think they're going to be basically the same as last year. But then again, you know, the, and and I hate to do this because. Obviously, it's the same. You could say this for every single team in the entire country that you know that has a solid quarterback. Is like we saw what happened when Haley Williams kind of had a, a little hamstring issue last year. Is they lost the last game of the season to Utah. They go to the college or they go to the Pac-12 championship. They lose to Utah by like thirty, uh, and then you know they lose in the bowl game to Tulane. Okay, so you got to kind of take it with a grain of salt. Is like they need him to be healthy, and I think that you know they'll do everything in their power to make him or to you know to keep him healthy because they saw what happened when he wasn't healthy, and obviously you know they 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 need him to be the man there. So yeah, so they're they're going to be the best team the best team in the Pac-12 if everybody you know stays healthy and everything like that. But but again, I think he it's it's so funny because. Caleb Williams and Drake May are going to be the top two picks in the NFL draft, and they're both in very, very similar situations with their college teams where, you know, they're the best team. Now, obviously, USC is a lot more talented and, you know, than, than, than USC, but or than UNC, but um, but but in the same way, we're like the quarterback is kind of the guy and he's carrying the team. And, you know, they the team goes as the quarterback goes. So so it's going to be interesting to see if he's able to. I mean, hey, he, he could even I mean, he's I think favorite right now to win it to, to run it back and win the Heisman um, a second time in a row, which has never been done. There's only one person who's won the Heisman twice and it was in like 1930. So this would be a pretty monumental historic thing um, if, if Caleb Williams and, and a lot of times, too, because they want to give it to a different guy. Right. You don't want to have the same guy win it over and over again. But right. I mean, if USC goes 12 and 0 and they make it to the college football playoff and maybe they lose to Georgia, who's probably in their inevitable champions anyway, like, you know, that could actually happen. Um, the one thing I will say, though, is USC's schedule is pretty tough this year. I think they have to play Utah, Oregon and Washington, which are the three other best teams in the Pac-12. So the schedule is tough. But again, you know, their talent is is should be enough to overcome that, you know, that that, that tough schedule. I don't think they'll go 12 and 0, um, but definitely, prob- you know, they'll definitely be in the Pac-12 championship enough or they're they're win enough games their record's gonna be good enough to be in the Pac-12 championship and I mean if they can go into the Pac-12 championship with one loss and you know win that game they could very much be in contention for a playoff spot at the end of the year let's talk about Oregon there were there they have four new starters on this offensive line which I've talked about the offensive line this episode if there's anything that you need to grasp from that four new starters on the on, on the offensive line uh offensive line chemistry is a huge thing and I I saw it firsthand last year with UVA we had a lot of new starters on the offensive line, a lot of young guys on the offensive line last year, and it did not bode well. So Oregon, four new starters on the O-line is, is a little bit shaky, but they hire offensive coordinator Will Stein from UTSA, who Matt loves UTSA. They went, what, like 11-1 and one a couple years ago? Yeah. Yep. Or, and then last year I think they were like 10-2. and two. Yep. So, they're, I mean, that, that's why he got hired is because they've had so much success over the past few years. You're thinking UTSA, like – that's a that's a no name school, but yeah, this guy Will Stein knows what he's doing. Apparently, I I saw that he said this in some kind of interview. He's going to put the focus on getting the ball into his playmakers' hands rather than scripting plays. A, a lot a lot of times in college these days, especially college football, you'll see it all the time. Is and you know Ryan Day does this, um, Lane Kiffin does this with his offenses. 
they script plays so that their their offensive players don't really have to think about what to do. They just know they know if I do this motion and I and I do this route combination, this guy's going to be open. So they just tell their quarterback, "You can stare down this receiver; it doesn't matter. He's going to be open no matter what." Apparently, uh, Oregon's doing it totally differently this year. They're they're not really trying to script plays that way. They're just going to try to get the ball into their playmakers' hands because they've got a, a few guys coming over from the transfer portal who they know are talented. So why not just get into their playmakers' hands? That's going to be Will Stein's focus on the offense. And then they lost Christian, Christian Gonzalez. They're you know, one of the top cornerbacks in the country last year to the NFL draft. But apparently the, uh, they're kind of beefing up that secondary with the transfer portal class as well. So Oregon... Pretty decent outlook, but again, that O line, that that new O line is 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 pretty scary. Yeah, they're they're going to be pretty much just as good as they always have been. I mean, they've always you know for the past like fifteen years now almost, um, you know they've been a nine or ten win team pretty much every year. They're they're going to be right there again. Um, you know, Hayden mentioned the addition of Will Stein as, as offensive coordinator. They did lose though their offensive coordinator from last year. He Kenny Dillingham was his name. He took the he took the head coaching job at, at Arizona State. So in terms of you know, kind of transition and everything like that. He, they lost an offensive coordinator who became a head coach, and now they're bringing in another good offensive coordinator. So, so yes, you know, it's it's a good it's a good offensive scheme that's going to be coming into this offense. However, you know, the the offensive scheme last year was good enough to get that coach promoted to another head coaching job within that conference, right? So they were still really good last year, but obviously, right, they bring back Bo Nix, who you know for his. For as polarizing as a quarterback as Bo Nix is, he he has some talent. He's a good college quarterback. I don't think he's going to succeed at the NFL level, but again, he, he's been in college for like forty five years now, so it doesn't really matter how you know how, how well he does in the NFL. I think he's he's done his he's done his time as a good starting quarterback at the end or at the at the college level. And I think Oregon's a good place for him because he's kind of he's he's talented enough again. And we saw at Auburn, he's not talented enough to be you know a, a, a top of the SEC starting quarterback. Um, but at Oregon, in a you know Pac-12 where the offenses are king, that's kind of a, a perfect place for him to succeed. So I think again, I, I don't have you know play college football playoff aspirations for Oregon this season. I don't think they're going to be really you know competing to win the championship or anything. Um, but but again, they're they're going to be the second or third best team in the Pac-12, and that's where they have been, and I think that they'll continue to be. Now, obviously, right, you know, we got the news yesterday that the, that Oregon and Washington are both moving to the Big Ten, and, and we'll talk about that a lot more in detail in our next episode, but the interesting part is going to be in the future, are they going to be able to, you know, kind of compete in that Big Ten landscape? I think they already have, like, the fourth, I think in terms of, like, the recruiting cla- or the recruiting rankings for next cycle, they're fourth, or, I think, or fifth in the country, so they're continuing that, you know, that that good recruiting edge, and I think that, you know, obviously Oregon, they, they have been a good program for for so long now obviously they have the nike money behind them too so that's always you know that's always helpful for those uniform combinations and everything to, to, to look to look your best but but yeah i think oregon's pretty much kind of staying flat in my opinion for this year all right let's talk about another future big 10 team washington matt just mentioned them michael Penix jr is is probably one of the most underrated quarterbacks in the country i mean if you if you've heard his name it's probably from when he was at indiana a couple years ago he transferred to washington last year Played there. They had one of the best offenses in the country. Their offense averaged 515 yards per game last year. I think that was one of the best in the nation. I mean, I think it was yards. second behind Tennessee. I think Tennessee was the only yeah. one that was better. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So there you go. Second best team, second best total offense in the country last year. And Michael Penix Jr. is a huge part of that. They're they're also returning like most of the other guys. I think they're they've got a couple good running backs that they're returning. Offensive line looks to be pretty pretty solid. Returning guys there. 
Um, and then on the defensive side of the ball, they are returning a guy named Braylon Trice. He's an edge rusher, comes off the edge, kind of like a defensive end slash linebacker hybrid. Um, he's he's one of the best pass rushers in the country. I think you know he's he's probably up there in the top two or top three conversation. So look for Braylon Trice to kind of be that difference maker on defense. They did lose some uh, some Samoan dude. I mean, they, they always have the, the Samoan guys on the defensive line. They lost one of them to the NFL draft last year, but I think that they're kind of replacing him with probably another Samoan dude. So yeah, <laughs> that's always good news. Um, and, you know, you always see the, 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 the guys on the defensive line with the hair hanging out of their helmet. You know you're, you're, you're in for a long night if you're the center So of the opposing team. So Washington, look for them to be, again, kind of I think probably the same as Oregon, you know, go, going flat from last year, not going to be too bad, not going to be too – not going to be, you know, doing anything crazy, I don't think. But, yeah, Washington is going to be pretty decent this year. I think they're going to be really good. I like Washington this year because basically, I mean, right, they were a 10-3 and team last year, and they bring back basically everyone, obviously, besides kind of that, you know, the one the one defensive lineman that got drafted, like Hayden said. I, I, I think in terms of if you want to bet someone to win the Heisman, it's it's Michael Penix Jr. This guy is about to throw for 500 yards a game, and it's – and, and – because here's the thing, right? And Hayden mentioned, right? He used to play at Indiana. Okay, so he was there in the 2020 season, the COVID season, when Indiana somehow, you know, I think they were they ended up being in the Big Ten Championship or, some, or something like that. They're in the Big Ten East. So I don't know how they ended up being in the Big Ten Championship. They were, it, it was something, something where they were able to, they were, they, or maybe they were undefeated, I think, and their only loss was to Ohio State. So they like should have been in the Big Ten Championship or whatever. Anyway, he was kind of the star of that show, and that was 2020. 2021, he comes into like Indiana's. That's kind of when he started um, his second season there, and he tours ACL right off the bat. And it was like, ah, oh, you know, this guy who. And then he played a little bit, or no, he played a little bit. He was bad, and then he tours ACL, and it was like, okay, this guy's career is over. He then goes to Washington, but the key here is that a guy named Caleb DeBauer was the offensive coordinator at Indiana when he was there in 2020, when they had that amazing season. Caleb DeBauer then went to be the head coach of at Fresno State for one year. Coach Jake Hayner was amazing there. Coached for like was the head coach of, of Fresno State for one year, and Washington was like, "This guy is about to be the future of college football." He's another one of these like brilliant offensive mind guys. So, and and you can tell, right? He was he goes from being the Indiana offensive coordinator to the Fresno State head coach to now the Washington head coach, and they completely transformed their team last year. I think they won like four or five games in twenty twenty one. Last year they go ten and two, ten and three, and they, and they have you know they have obviously kind of that. And this is like this is a, this is a um you know something that we've kind of discovered here, I think, Hayden, on this podcast is this offensive coordinator and quarterback, you know, kind of duo is when you match these guys up who have had success in the past, they end up having success again. So think about Brandon Armstrong and, and Robert and I and, um, you know, and, and Jeff Brom and Jack Plummer in the ACC for, you know, for uh, for NC State and Louisville. If you want proof as to how this works in the first season, look at Washington, right? I mean, this team won like five games in 2021. They went you know, they double their win total last year. They go 10 and three, you know, they're in a new Year's six bowl and, and right. And they have the second best offense in the entire country because of Caleb DeBauer and, and, uh, and, and, and Michael Penix. So yeah, I, I expect this. They had the second best receiving core in the, in the nation, I think in terms of ranking or maybe third. Um, so, so they have weapons on the outside. Michael Penix is a great quarterback. And, and like I said, I think if there's anyone that's kind of like in that, like 10 to one, 15 to one range to win the Heisman, that's, that's my favorite right now. Utah. They have won the Pac-12 the past two years, so th- this is kind of new to a lot of people. A lot of people don't even really think about Utah being a good team in college football, but they have been the past two years. They just kind of found a way to to beat the good teams. Like they they play really well against 
really good teams. And so that's, I mean, that's what you want in a, in a, in a team that has a possibility to win a championship, a Pac-12 championship, in, for that matter. So Utah, again, over the past couple of years, past few years, they've just kind of been on the uptrend. And they've they've been able to get it done, win the Pac-12 the past two years. The only, only thing that I'll say about their personnel-wise and, and coaching-wise, I guess, because I don't have much else to say, is that the returning Cam Rising, who has been there for, I think, two years at least, He's, he's been their quarterback, um, and he he looks like he should be the the lead singer of a of an alternative rock band. Yeah. But he should he doesn't look like he'll, he'll be the uh, you know in, in in the Heisman running, which he probably won't be. But still, he's he's a, he's got experience, a lot of experience. But Matt will talk about him a little bit more. I'm just saying that uh, you know re- returning quarterback that looks like he should lead an alternative rock band. What can go wrong? Yeah, that's that's a great way to describe it. The only problem is. Cam Rising tore his ACL in the, in the Rose Bowl, okay? And that was that was January, like, first weekend in January. Um, so, obviously, we know that as injuries go in the NFL and, and, and football in general, the, the recovery time and the rehab and everything always gets shorter because, you know, doctors are great and they're able to do amazing things. And the human body is also able to recover faster than it, than it you know, than it was before. But that's still – I mean, you're giving this guy seven months, okay, to recover from a completely torn ACL. Now – they, you know, there was Pac-12 media days, and I was, you know, I was kind of reading stuff about it. It, it look, he looks okay, but again, that's him walking to a press conference to sit at a podium and answer some questions. That's not, you know, going on the football field against Florida, who they play in their first game this year. So, I, if if he can be what he has been for the last two years, Utah is right in line with Washington, Oregon, and USC in terms of competing at the top of the Pac-12. But if he can't, they're they're not going to be that good this year. Um, and I think that he's probably going to be somewhere in between, right? Which is why I think they're going to kind of s- fall in line right right under kind of the top three, USC, Oregon, and Washington. Um, but let me say first, though, that Utah's home field advantage might be the best in the entire country. In their last, I think, I think the last like three years combined, they're 19 and 0 at home, including the COVID year and everything like that. So it's it just because it's a tough place to play, right? It's in Utah, it's in the mountains, it's high elevation, it's everything that you don't want as an opposing team in college football. Utah has that, their fans go crazy. So this is one of the best home field advantages in college football. So they're probably gonna win all their home games, but and I don't I don't know if you have the schedule put up, Hayden, but I think I think they go on the road to play the tougher teams in the Pac 12. So it, it might be a little tough for Utah this year in terms of you know, kind of returning to winning the Pac-12 conference, I, I don't think they'll get there this year. Um, and, and I think they're going to need kind of, because I think this is probably going to be Cam Rising's last year, they're probably going to need, you know, to kind of continuing to to kind of build that quarterback room over the, over the coming years here if they want to kind of compete in the now Big 12, which obviously, again, we're going to get to this a little in, in next episode too, but they're now going to be in the Big 12 um, in the coming years, which, you know, kind of has, you know, the Good offense, good or like especially offensive quarterbacks in the, in the Big Twelve and scoring a lot of points. Um, so it's going to be an interesting mesh for Utah in the Big Twelve as it goes forward. Uh, but but right, they've had a great run in the past couple of years here in the Pac twelve, and nobody's really been or I think they've been a little bit underrated in terms of if you ask your random college football fan, you know who's won the Pac twelve the last two years, people would probably say USC or Oregon, right? They wouldn't say it to Utah. So so cheers to them for for actually doing that and being so good over the past couple of years. Moving on to UCLA here, they. Obviously lost DTR, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, and Zach Charbonnet to the NFL draft this year. That's really all I have to say about them. Don't worry. I, I wouldn't worry too much about UCLA this year in terms of losing those two guys to the NFL draft. Of course, when you lose your quarterback and your running back, if you don't know, DTR was the quarterback. Zach Charbonnet was, the, was their running back. If you lose two stars at in, in the backfield like that, usually you think, oh, well, you know, this year there's no way they're going to live up, live up to expectations. 
I'll, I'll just say this with the whole transfer portal era just continuing to get to become even more prominent I wouldn't worry about teams like UCLA though I mean they're not going to really make many make much noise in the Pac-12 especially with USC and, and Oregon and Washington and those guys still here in the Pac-12 this year they're not going to make much noise but don't really worry about them taking much of a step down because you've got guys that I mean the, the guys that either played behind them or that are coming in with experience from playing on another college team they're basically just as good. I mean, DTR was was arguably one of the best quarterbacks in the country last year, and then Zach Charbonnet was also you know a very good ground and pound running back. But they're they've got replacements coming in. Matt will talk a little bit about those, and then also about their schedule. So go ahead, Matt. Yeah, they their quarterback is probably well. They have a couple quarterbacks transfer like transfer quarterbacks, but they bring in a five star freshman Dante Moore who originally committed to Oregon, and they were able to flip him to U or UCLA. Um, Chip Kelly is their is their coach, remember too. So kind of he's he's been a little bit lost in the shadows as it pertains to being so good at you know successful at Oregon, then going to the Eagles and not doing so well, uh, and now you know now he's kind of been at UCLA for the past few years. But like that that in it that sells. That, that in and of itself, you know, sells the program, I think, um, in terms of kind of the floor on this school is going to always be so high uh, in terms of how many, you know, wins they're going to get and everything like that. So back to Dante Moore, though, one of the, again, I, I forget, I forget, I was reading one of the, the ESPN columnists um, in terms of kind of, you know, their their grades on these, you know, these incoming freshmen and whatever. The guy said that Dante Moore, the quarterback for, for UCLA, he watched him in the Under Armour All-American game. He might have had the best preset. I mean, again, this is according to the guy that I read, um, but Looked like the best quarterback that possibly he's ever seen play in the All-American under or under Under Armour All-American game, uh, and so if that says anything about like how good Dante Moore could be, this guy could be this guy could be generational, right? Which is you think about that in combination with a Chip Kelly offense, that's pretty lethal in my opinion. So again, it might not be this year, but especially you know you kind of going into the Big Ten next year and everything that that UCLA has in front of it. They could be kind of your 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 no the team that comes out of the Pac-12 that you're thinking oh you know they're they're always pretty good but they're never really winning championships they could become you know pretty 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 good um, in terms of like you know competing at the top of the Big Ten I think in the next in the next few years they also bring over so Hayden mentioned they lose Zach Charbonnet they bring over a guy named Carson Steele who was. Um, he was he played at Ball State last year, which you're like, dude, they're bringing over a running back from Ball State, like what? But he's like this he's like this crazy like redneck white guy who has hair like like long blonde hair like falling out the back of his helmet, and he led the Mac in rushing. I think he was like he was like top ten in the country in rushing last year, um, and he led the nation in yards after contact, like after he you know been tackled or touched or whatever broken you know tackles and everything like that. So he's a very tough runner. He's a good running back. Obviously, right that was in the Mac. So at Ball State, you're playing you know, Buffalo and Eastern Michigan on a, on a weekly basis, but Hey, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a, he's a good transfer, you know, nonetheless. So um, I think, I think UCLA is going to be again, pretty, pretty even this year in terms of the, you know, they'll probably be close to what they were last year because right. You have DTR and, 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 uh, and Zach Charbonnet last year, you're replacing both of them this year, but I think that they don't fall down as much. And that's kind of what Hayden was getting at. And I, I definitely echo that sentiment that like the recruiting, the constant recruiting and transfers that you're going to be able to get to a place like UCLA it's always going to be top notch. Okay. So, right. It's, it's kind of a transition year in terms of where they're at in quarterback and, and if they can kind of hit on Dante more, but again, this is their, it's, it's again, and this is just in general too, for the PAC 12, like all these teams are leaving after this year anyway. So it's kind of a, if they're, if you were going to go through a transition year and trying to figure out who your quarterback is, this is the best year to do it. And I think that Chip Kelly is the per perfect person to, you know, to kind of figure that out. All right. Our second to last team in the, in the PAC 12 discussion here is Oregon state. Not really a team that you think of a lot of times when you when you think of you know successful teams, especially in the Pac-12. 
but they're there, um, and they're, that's kind of just what they are, in my, at least in my opinion. They got DJ Uyunglele, so I know I know all of you have been itching to hear us talk about DJ since we first mentioned Clemson as the first team ever in this, or as the first team in general um, at the beginning of this podcast. He moved to or- Oregon State here. He might have more success there because here's the thing: is like sometimes quarterbacks are like that where they just don't really work out with the offense that they're put in. So maybe he just didn't really work with the offense that Clemson runs, and maybe Oregon State has a more attractive or a more appealing offense to his style of ball. You never really know, but we just didn't really see much from him at, at Clemson. So that's why I'm I'm gonna come on here and say he probably won't be as impressive as as a lot of people thought that he was gonna be for Clemson. Hopefully he won't be as much of a letdown for Oregon State as he was for Clemson because, I mean he was he was quite the quite the letdown. I think he was a five star and he just ended up not being good at all. So they've got a new a new recruit coming in, Aiden Childs at quarterback as well, who definitely is in competition with DJ to get the starting job. Could even win the starting job either before the season starts or after the first few games where DJ might throw a few picks and they might try out Aiden Childs at the at the helm. It's going to be interesting to see this quarterback situation. That's the biggest thing I'm looking for for Oregon State. Yeah, they're they're kind of a team. You're kind of like, why are you talking about Oregon State? Obviously, the DJ the DJ Uyunglele stuff. But Oregon State's like one of those teams that you, you kind of just like are like, oh, yeah, they're not that good. They won ten games last year, and and they've won. Their coach Jonathan Smith, he's a you know he's he's just he's completely he's completely rebuilding the program, but doing it in the best way possible. They've won more games in the previous year each year that he's been there. Um, and, and, and last year, right. They won 10 games. As I said, I think they had like their, their, their passing game was ranked like 120th out of 130 teams. And they won 10 games. Like this is a team that with an amazing defense and amazing run game, all you need is a competent quarterback. They had nothing last year. So it's one of those situations where like for DJ Uyunglele himself, maybe, you know, is he? Is it going to propel him to be a first round draft pick? No, but I think he's a great addition to this program that is such in you know in need of a quarterback to just be com- you know just competent you know at, at the helm of this offense. So right, so I, I think that this is a perfect get for Oregon State. It's not necessarily a perfect get for DJ you know himself, um, but but I think that right. I think this is a this team is very well set up for the future. Now they're one of the four teams that now don't have a conference for the future, or at least are probably going to end up moving to the Mountain West because as it stands right now the Pac-12 is literally Cal, Stanford, Washington State, and Oregon State. And that's it. Um, so they're probably going to end up being in the Mountain West. But if you think about it, I mean, yes, they're not going to be necessarily in the Power 5 anymore, but there's there's not really going to be a Power 5, especially if the ACC disbands as well. So in kind of the in kind of the I guess the next iteration of college football or whatever we kind of call it where there's two super leagues and kind of the the rest of the teams Oregon State's probably going to be one of the best outside of that you know outside of the Big Ten and the SEC are going to be one of the best teams in the country I think especially if you you think about going to Mountain West like they're better than Boise State they're better than Fresno State so um, I think the future for Oregon State is bright kind of wherever they end up now right they might not be a power five team anymore but again you know right like Cal and Stanford are, are power five teams, but they haven't done anything the past you know few years. Whereas Oregon State's actually winning games, so I, I really like the future of this team, and I just kind of want to shout them out real quick. And a brand new team to the Pac-12 is Colorado, the last thing that we'll be talking about today, but possibly one of the most intriguing teams coming into this season. They also have possibly the biggest roster turnaround a college football team has ever seen in the history of football. Because if you don't know, Coach Prime, Deion Sanders came in basically told his whole entire team to transfer because they've, they've sucked. I mean, their defense, I think, was last in total defense 
last year, and so he he, he essentially told everybody to hit the tra- everybody to hit the transfer portal because he's bringing his own guys with him, and he's bringing a bunch of guys over from the transfer portal uh, to come play, and they're going to start over the guys that were originally there. So that's what he told his team when he first came in as the head coach, and that's what he did. Uh, their defense allowed 44.5 points per game last Jeez. season, which is, like, that's so incredibly bad. But they get former uh, Alabama defensive coordinator Charles, Charles Kelly to come over, I mean, you bring over a defensive coordinator from Alabama who's played in the SEC against other SEC teams. He's bound to be good. Bama's defense is always pretty good too. He works with better talent, assumably, but he'll he'll look to turn around that you know forty four and a half point uh, per game defense that they that, that they had last year. And then they've also brought in Travis Hunter and Cormani McLean. They're the past two number one cornerbacks coming out of high school. So they've been both of those guys in twenty two and twenty twenty two. Sorry, 2022 and 2023. Um, in 2022, it was Travis Hunter. He went to Jackson State, and then he transferred from Jackson State to Colorado with Deion Sanders. Cormani McLean, coming out of high school this year, was a number one recruit or number one cornerback uh, uh, recruit. And so, right, they have two cornerbacks there, which are five star recruits who were the number one in their class at their at their position the past two years. Look for those cornerbacks to be locked down. I think Colorado's got a, a really good shot at, be, at just surprising a lot of people this year. I don't. I don't. Really? No. If if you take anything from this podcast, it's to not believe any of the Colorado hype from anything anywhere. This team is full of transfers. Yes, the overall talent is better than last year. Last year's team went 1-11, and and as Hayden said, they allowed 44 points a game. It Go, what? Go, well, okay, I was going to say compared to last, like, Look for them to shock people in terms of like link, thinking of Colorado as a team that sucks. I don't think that they're really going to suck this year. I think they are. I don't. I don't are, do you think they're going to go? <laughs> I like, think. Well, how many wins? I, so their go? win total right now is three and a half. I I bet under four and a half like a, a while ago. So the number's gone down since I bet it. Oh, wow. I would still take under three and a half now. I, they'll probably really? win three games, but I I don't see I don't see more than that. It's just there's there's so much tra- they. 71 new players, Hayden. Like, you don't understand, like, how... And yeah. and sure, again, the talent, overall talent of those transfers is good, but but you can't... It, it doesn't work like that, especially with a team like a, a Power 5 football team. Deion Sanders did this at Jackson State, okay? He, every year, he brought in transfers at Jackson State. They were one of the best, you know, programs in the FCS, and, and he, did, he did really well there. But there's a difference when you're bringing the FBS players to an FCS level who are then able to beat up on the other FCS players. And you're able to take transfers because the overall talent pool is so much worse at the FCS level. But you're bringing kind of random FBS transfers to another school that was really bad last year and you're kicking out all your players who were there before. I get it, the talent is better, but there's just not, and on top of that, their schedule, they play 11 Power 5 teams out of 12 games on a conference schedule. Yeah, true. And the, over, the only group of five team they play is Colorado State, who has a better win total projection than Colorado in the first place. So, like, I, I just don't see it with this team. And, and again, the, the, like, like I said, the talent overall is better. Shador Sanders is Deion Sanders' son, and he's playing quarterback. He's actually a really great athlete, right? He's a good player. Travis Hunter. Amazing. He's probably going to play on both sides of the. He's probably going to play quarterback, yeah. cornerback, and wide receiver. This team is talent, but but besides that, like they don't have that much talent. And and the the biggest thing is depth. Okay, because especially when it comes to the offensive line and the defensive line, your 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 replacements at that level 
is what matter the most, and they have no depth on the offensive line and defensive line. If one guy goes down, they're basically starting walk-ons at those positions, and they're going to be playing USC, Oregon, Washington, all the teams that we just mentioned, right? So, and and their non-conference is TCU and Nebraska, which are way better teams than them in the first place. So, I think Colorado is 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 going to be fine. Like you know, give again, give it three or four years. Deion Sanders is always going to get the best defensive backs because he's arguably the best defensive back of all time in the NFL. So yeah, he's going to be able to convince guys to come to play for him because he's like, I can turn you into the best defensive player, you know, in, in the country. Sure. And they're moving to the big 12 next year. So that's fine too. Right. But just for, for what the hype is this year. And, and again, if he was to go to a, a power five program, I'm glad he chose a school at like Colorado, which is kind of in the middle of nowhere. They haven't been good in forever. Um, they actually were like winning national championships in the late 1990s. But again, that's been, you know, over 25 years now. So Yeah. I like it, it, you know, for, for the school, it's good that, you know, they, they've loosened their like academic requirements to fit Dion's like recruiting style. Like they're doing a lot to, to set this program up for success. So in three or four years, if he's able to kind of keep up the level of recruiting that he's doing, then fine. But the other bad thing about taking all these transfers is that I feel like you just, you develop a sense of, and, and sports are just like that because kids are like this in general. But it's it's almost like it's just like the me, me, me thing where it's like if you're a, a highly touted transfer and you go to another school, you think you're the best and you don't need the school to be able to be great at your position or be drafted or whatever. And it's like when you get a bunch of those guys in a room together, things usually don't turn out well in terms of trying to play for the team or understanding that you might not be as good as the starter. And so what I think is probably going to happen is – all these guys are end up, you know, if they don't start, they're going to end up transferring out. There were multiple starters who did well in the spring game this year who've already transferred out to other schools because they just either don't like the way that Dion coaches or have been told, like, I don't, you know, you're not going to be that good. So they transferred out. So it's like they have no depth on top of that. And and right. So I just it's just is not lining up for me for this year. And and that's why I'm so low on, on, on Colorado. So there's my five minute rant on why Colorado is going to suck this year. Yeah. Well, there you go. Uh, we have. Some different opinions on Colorado. I, I kind of have hope for – especially, I mean, yeah, you've got two of the – the past two number one cornerback recruits coming out of high school. I don't know. That's that's. But, like, good luck defending Washington, you know? I, and, yeah, and I guess. Like, but, USC, like, you're not – it's just not going to work. I guess, yeah. And he's right. Like, especially at, col- at the college level, depth and experience is one of the most important things, and we've seen that play out as being more important than – getting the top recruits and, and playing, you know, the top freshmen or whatever that are coming out of high school. Yeah, experience is everything, but I don't know. I, I kind of have faith in, in Colorado. I think that – I think Deion Sanders knows that he has to have success right away at Colorado in order for everything that he promised that would come true to, to kind of be believed at least for next year because it's like he knows yeah, that if he goes – if that. he goes 2-10 – A lot of pressure. Yeah. yeah, he knows that if he goes 2-10 – then everybody's gonna be like, okay, he's a fraud. So let's just write Colorado off for for years. It's like I think I think that he kind of knows what he has coming, but maybe he just doesn't really. Maybe he's underplaying the competition of the Pac-12 a little bit. That's that's probably what's what's going on. But I don't know. We'll see. Uh, it, it'll be, it'll be interesting. But with that being said, rundown. We've got one topic. Well, here. we let's let's do our championships first, Hayden. Oh, our because we don't want to forget that again. Yeah. Sorry. 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 All right. So for the ACC, uh, probably going to be the same for both of us. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. It's that. It's got to be. It's going to be Clemson and Florida State here um, in the ACC championship. It's going to be. A, it's going to be tough to put to pick a a winner. But I'm going to go Florida State just because I, I want to see them come back to glory. I kind of miss the Jameis Winston days when they were, you know, winning national championships. So 
give me Florida State over Clemson. Again, it's, it's it could go either way there. I know I talked about how good Clemson is gonna is gonna look this year, but Florida State is looking basically just as good, and their offense is gonna be like literally perfect. So. Give me Florida State over Clemson to win the ACC. I'm going to have the same teams. I'm going to pick Clemson, though. Um, I think their defense is a lot better than Florida State's. And it's one of those things where when they play each other – and, again, they're going to play each other twice, right? So it, the team that wins the first game will probably lose the the conference championship, right? It just kind of always seems to go that way, you know, when we talk about Alabama, Georgia, and all that stuff, too. Um, so – but I think that the best unit on the field is going to be Clemson's defense um, against Florida State's offense, and and I trust I trust Clemson's offense to be able to score more on on, on Florida State's defense. Again, it's going to be great. Like this this game is going to be played twice, and it's going to be amazing both times. Um, and, and yeah, and I mean I I could see either team winning, but I think I think Clemson is just being underrated just because they haven't won a championship in three years, and it's like. That's, I mean, I don't know. I, I think they they still have like the program is still there. The you know they're they're just reloading every single year. Their defense is always so great. Um, and 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 I think they have a little bit easier schedule than than Florida State too. So in terms of like you know kind of when you get to the end of the year and you're you're, you're kind of you know you've lost guys along the way, you're getting hurt and whatever. Um, and that's the other thing too. And again, I hate to bring up the injury thing because all right, this could just derail everything. But if Jordan Travis goes down, Florida State season is completely kaput whereas Clemson has I, I I forget the name of they have another guy behind Kate Klubnik who's a really high recruit too so um so in terms of depth I think Clemson's also better um but again it's a toss-up completely I I it's just a guess really all right and for the Pac-12 here I'm gonna have USC in, in in my championship here and then my other championship team I think I'm okay I think I'm gonna go Washington because I think they have like one of the most balanced teams because they, I mean, they have a great offense. We've talked about their offense. They're going to bring over that, you know, second best in the nation offense from last year and probably even be better with it this year. And Michael Penix Jr. is a returning starter at quarterback. They've got one of the best edge rushers in the country. Like they've, they've got a more balanced team, I think, than, than a team like Oregon and Utah. Sadly, I I think Utah, I think Matt's right with the whole um, Cam rising thing with like, you know, him coming, just coming off of an ACL injury. They are the two-time defending Pac-12 champs, but with him only seven months out from an ACL injury, it's it's going to be too much of a shaky start for Cam Rising, and you know I, I guess into the season too because they also play. So Florida's their first game. They play at Utah, so they'll probably win that. Game. I think they're favored by eight or nine points. But they yeah. also play at Baylor in the non-conference. So mm. Utah could actually start the season like one and two, yeah. and have to win all the rest of their games to even be in contention for the Pac-12 championship to begin with. Yeah. So I'm going to take USC and Washington in 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 the um in the Pac-12 championship here, and. I really want to go Washington to win over USC this year, and I, I think that they will. So I'm I'm gonna go Washington to win the Pac-12 this year, be, and it's, I think it's gonna be kind of like a kind of like a Utah situation in the past couple of years where like they they just kind of have USC's number. I think Washington's gonna be able to pull it out against USC. The, USC's defense, it's just like Matt explained it in, in in the ACC championship. I didn't really even really think of this that much, but Florida State's defense is gonna be worse than Clemson's defense objectively. USC's defense is going to be is probably going to be worse than Washington's defense, and with Washington being such a such a high powered offense, almost probably going to be you know up there with USC, if not better offensively than USC. I can see Washington taking this Pac-12 championship all the way. Yeah, I I, I think so too. Um, I think USC is definitely going to be in the Pac-12 championship, um, and then it's going to be either Oregon or Washington. I think it's it's going to be a combination of those three teams pretty much every time you run a simulation. Um, so I'll, I'll pick Washington for the heck of it, just because I think that 
do, Hayden, can you look up if Oregon and Washington play and when they play? Because that, that's also kind of a big factor in this is like determining who gets to the conference championship. It depends what your record is during the season, but it also depends what your conference record is. And so kind of the, you know, who who plays who when is, is actually pretty important when it comes to the schedule of things. They play October 14th, Oregon and Washington. Okay, do. so basically right in the middle of the season. Um, I, it, it's probably going to come down to whoever wins that game, honestly, to determine who who gets to the Pac-12 championship. But, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll go along with Hayden and, and with USC and Washington. I, I, I do think that if UNC and Washington play, Washington definitely has a better chance of beating USC than, than Oregon does, right? So if Oregon gets there, USC probably is going to be favored, uh, you know, a good bit, whereas, you know, whereas Washington and USC is going to think it's going to be a closer game. But I do think UC, USC is probably going to take it. I think their defense is much improved this year, and that's the key, right? Like, it's like they, they pretty much have most of the people back on offense, and, and if their defense is improved, and they actually can get pressure on the quarterback. And even slightly regress on the turnover ratio from last year, but I, I think they'll they'll – they weren't forced. They won't force as many turnovers, but they'll be more like they'll 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 cover more, right? They'll get to the, they'll they'll be able to rush the passer more with Bear Alexander. So it's it's a better overall team. And Hayden, Hayden, I think you know explained that well. So I do think the USC is going to win the Pac-12. It's kind of you know picking the favorite here. Like all right, whatever. Um, but but I think they'll also have a good enough record to be able to make it to the college football playoff. And I mean, again, it's going to depend on who. I guess probably next episode is when we should do our college football playoff predictions because we yeah. haven't really talked about that yet. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, so I think that you know they'll they'll probably end up with a good enough record to be in contention for it. I mean, they were last year, right? And then they just lost to Utah twice, right? So it kind of you know was was interesting there for for USC. There were a lot of teams that were kind of vying for a playoff spot. Tennessee was too, and then like, oh, South Carolina was just the. That's always going to come up. It's like 2022. Georgia wins the national championship. You have TCU randomly in there and Michigan and Ohio State, two Big Ten teams. But it's like easily could have been Clemson, Tennessee, uh, or or uh, or or USC and Washington or Utah completely ruins USC's chance. And then South Carolina absolutely blows up Tennessee and Clemson's. It was crazy. Um, But yeah, so I I think Washington or I think I think USC is definitely going to you know they're going to be in the in the Pac-12 championship. I think they're probably going to win it, especially because the other thing too is like they they didn't win it last year with all that talent and they should have won it. And Caleb Williams was hurt. So there was a lot of things kind of going for them last year where this year, you know, once they get there, they're going to be like, all right, we, we got to do it this year. Um, and I just trust Lincoln Riley to, to always have an amazing offense that, that always puts up numbers. And I mean, what? He was the coach of Oklahoma for five years, six years, um, I think six years. He made it to the college football playoff, I think, four of those six years. So I, he just kind of always does it. He's just a very successful head coach. And he's like 39 or something. Yeah, like, this guy's about crazy. to be like the winningest head coach in the history of the game. Yeah, exactly. All right, quick rundown segment. So, U.S. Women's National Team lost some penalties to Sweden this morning, and they were sent home inevitably uh, in the round, or I guess evidently is what I meant to say, in the round of 16. This is, I think this is their earliest exit in the World Cup in, I, I can't even remember how long. I mean, it only happens every four years for, at least for the, you know, the women's side of things. So, I don't know, dude. They, like, this is, it's so surprising. Their, their group, okay, their group stage play foreshadowed this like crazy they only they i'm saying they only beat vietnam by three goals but they were supposed to be the by at least five goals they only beat them by three goals in the first uh group stage game then they went on to play the netherlands who the netherlands is really good men's and women's soccer so it was it was kind of you know the draw there was it was a little bit of a letdown but like or no they wait they lost the netherlands right who the women or no, 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 they drew. Yeah, it was 1-1. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So they drew Netherlands 1-1, and then um, they almost lost to the Netherlands, actually. But, that, yeah, they ended up tying it up at 1-1. They drew them, and then they drew Portugal as well. And I'm pretty sure that they were they were predicted to beat Portugal by, by a good bit, too. So 
I don't know. It, it the group stage definitely did foreshadow this. I'm not really surprised because Sweden is good at, at women's soccer. I know that. Um, and so it, I guess maybe it was kind of like an unlucky draw for the round of 16 game to get Sweden as their opponent, but they were sent home and they lost in penalties, which kind of sucks because everybody hates losing penalties because it's not even really part of the game. I mean, it is part of the game, but it's not, you know, it's not like in, losing in penalties, especially in uh, on a stage like the World Cup sucks because it's a lot, it's, it's a lot more random than the actual game of soccer, but it is what it is. And it's sad to see them go home. But again, very surprising as one of the earliest exits in U.S. women's history. Yeah, they, they Sweden won their group. I think they won all three games. So, like, they were really good. And I think, I mean, I, I, I don't remember what the odds were, but I think they were they were basically even, um, you know, for who was going to win this game. So I'm not surprised that Sweden won. And obviously, as Hayden mentioned, you never really want to, you know, lose in penalties. But I think Sweden's the better team, or at least they showed so in the group stage. So I think that the, the better team came out here on top. Um, and... and it is what it is. I mean, I think, you know, we kind of had our shine. We won, what, two out of three of the last World Cups or something like that. Um, so, but I mean, hey, it's it's kind of getting at that at that, at that kind of same thing that maybe this is the transition. Maybe the, you know, the, the, the rest of the world is kind of catching up, which for, obviously for men's soccer, the U.S. always sucks. So yeah. um, it would, it would kind of be sad to see the women's team go as well. But I, I think, too, it'll be kind of cool, cool to see someone else win. All right. Well, that's going to wrap it up for today. Thank you guys so much for listening. Good hour and a half in uh, for the podcast today. Make sure to listen to our next episode and our past episodes if you haven't already. Uh, we're going to be talking about the Big 12 and conference realignment next episode. So huge episode next episode. Really, you know, just, just a lot of general stuff that we're going to be going over. Um, and we're going to be going in depth with a lot of it, too. So, you know, if, if, if you're interested in conference realignment, be ready for our next episode coming up this week. And we will see you guys then. Not going to hold you any longer. So thank you guys so much for listening. And we will catch you guys middle of the week. 